our sermon today. Very simple. So I want us to think about it. When you hear the name Jesus, what do you think? And so I'd invite you to just shout out what you think about Jesus. One word. Jesus has a lot of names, right? Lots of things that he does for us. A lot of things that he did for us on the cross. You know, we're about to enter this season of Lent where, you know, we we celebrate kind of the sad moments of, of Jesus dying for us. And then Jesus rising for us on Easter. But Jesus, the Messiah of the world, the Savior for each of us. You know, we wouldn't have... Uh, Easter morning without that crucifixion. We wouldn't have uh, a way to heaven, eternal life, without that crucifixion, uh, without the birth of Jesus on Christmas. All of it is necessary to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament. So this Sunday, we celebrate this special day in the life of the church, the day where Jesus brought his disciples to the mountain. And God spoke from the sky, stating, this is my son, who I'm well pleased. Right? We notice that this is really the second time in the scriptures that this happens. Right? At Jesus' baptism, God speaks from the sky, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Today marks for many Christians around the world a feast day to signify the importance of this event in the life of faith. This scripture this morning lays a testimony to both humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ. But as we reflect upon this event in the New Testament, let's set the stage. To hear the voice of God, what must we do? Just like Jesus did, I believe we must go away into the wilderness. Now the question is, where is your wilderness in your own life? You know, I, I was going through my, my Facebook photos, right? And I'm, I'm looking at all the places that I've been, and uh, it's pretty limited compared to probably some of you that have traveled all over. But I look at those moments of being in the wilderness and hearing the voice of God so clearly. For me, it's when I turn my phone off, when... There's nothing else besides me and the Lord. And I sit with God in his creation. And I hear his voice clearly. So for me this past week, when did that happen? So I I took a drive to Jacksonville. uh, And there's almost nothing, it seems like. There's a few little small towns. But you really drive through the woods to get to Jacksonville. And I heard God speak to me. I'm not going to share everything he said. But God and I had a conversation. And the conversation was a lot of whys. Why, God? What What are you trying to do? It's in those moments of silence. And Jesus sets the example, right? Before his his, uh, betrayal, before uh, Jesus did anything, 
he went away in silence with his father. And often, life is so busy and chaotic, and we have so much noise around us that we don't spend that silent time with the Lord. So the question is, when are you and God alone in prayer? And your thoughts and in, in his creation, what is God telling you this morning? What is God telling you to, to do and to uh, change in your own lives? For Peter, James, and John and his brother, the statement from God was clear this morning. This is my son. But again, what is he telling us? Is he calling us to repentance, perhaps forgiveness of our brother or sister? Perhaps to a ministry calling, or perhaps reassurance of our own faith. God is speaking to each of us this morning. Each of us during those moments of silence, God is speaking. So we just have to be able to pause our words, pause our minds, which is sometimes very difficult. You know, at nighttime, I have to take melatonin because my mind just goes, goes, and goes. Anybody else with me? I'll sit there in bed and just think for hours. But if I could take some, you know, nighttime meds once in a while, I'll go to sleep. It's great. But God calls us to be people of peace, to be people of silence. So Jesus is what we're going to talk about. His authority. Jesus has authority. Jesus is Lord, we're told, but what is that? You know, in verse 5 here this morning, it says, While you were still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So we have a few things here. <coughs> Around the world, Christians were, uh, were killed in the beginning of church history because they claimed Jesus is Lord. Now, they could have easily recanted and said, you know what, uh, Caesar or whatever king is my Lord. But instead, Jesus was their Lord. All right, so uh, here's dictionary.com. It says, a Lord, a person who has authority, control, power over others, a master, chief, or ruler. Like in today's dictatorships, to declare that anyone else besides the dictator is Lord is a capital crime. What is important here is that these early Christians were declaring that the one that gave their, they gave their allegiance to God and God alone. So this is significant. That Christians believe this to their core even today. We're willing to die to defend who Christ is around the world. And in some places, again, we're, we're not only threatened with character assassination as Christians, but death. In some places around the world, uh, pastors, uh, again, this past Sunday, uh, was sentenced to eight years in prison for proclaiming Jesus. The point here is that we must make Lord Jesus Christ who we give our allegiance to in all situations. And I get it, this can be challenging because who wants to face consequences in life? So I'm going to think of, of Joshua 24:15. And the, the end part of this verse is pretty familiar, I'm sure. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, 
Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. So the point is, you're going to serve somebody as Lord. Whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, we have a plaque somewhere with this in our house. I'm sure some of you do too. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does that mean? It's not just a platitude, you know, it's, it's an actual statement that we will not serve the lords of the kingdom. We will not serve the lords of our bosses. We will not serve any of those people. It is Jesus and Jesus alone is who our first king is. So this morning, I can tell you, my house, the blues, are going to serve the Lord. So the question is for each of us this morning is, to what extreme are we willing to say that Lord Jesus Christ is our supreme king, you know? Uh, so let me put this in practical terms. I had a friend, a dear friend, uh, and we were having a conversation about faith. <coughs> and I know I've brought this up, I think, before. Uh, but outside of the church, his Lord was his political party. And he believed that that was primary. And you know why? He said, well, the Constitution says separation of church and state. So, therefore, I have my church life and I have my state life. That's not the case, right? We know that this morning. Jesus, our Christianity, is where our allegiance is. And, you know, I was trying to find the verse here, but I think this applies it. The grass dries up, the flower withers, but the God's word will exist forever. How many kingdoms, how many kings, how many, you know, again, I love history. They have all fallen. But God is still here, is he not? Through it all. And so, you know, I, I don't get involved in everything going on in the world. And, and perhaps I could be faulted for that. Uh, I, I probably will not run for office of any sort. <laughs> Who knows? I might. You know, uh, maybe a school board. Uh, but the point here is it, God is my king. And even if I do run for office, God is going to be my king. Our king doesn't have term limits, right? Our king does not have to be elected into office. Our king uh, has a, a word, and it is real. And when he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And sometimes that is very difficult. I mean, look at the minor prophets, Jeremiah, for example. If you read through Jeremiah, what does he tell the king? He says, you know... You guys are wicked people. You need to repent and change your ways or God's going to destroy this place. And poor Jeremiah, right? He, he's tortured and he's put in, a, uh, in the ground to, to die in mud. And, and God takes him out of that and rescues him and tells him he won't die in that way. But the point here is our King Jesus has to be the ruler of our lives, period. And sometimes that is so hard. I mean, I, I know it in my own life. Sometimes I put, you know, I, especially, you know, I'm a, I'm a father and a husband, and I'm going to put my kids and my family first. Uh, but sometimes, you know, th there's, there's conflict there. Do I put God first or my family? And uh, I have, I'm, I'm supposed to put God first, right? God, then family. But I don't think God's going to do anything to us to harm us either. You know, here we are, 
And it speaks into this, verse 7 here. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. So we're all sons and daughters of the king. We've all been touched by Jesus like Peter, James, and John and his brother were this morning. We were claimed by our Lord at our baptisms. You know, so if you go into baptismal theology and what all this means, here's we have the baptismal font. It is the new circumcision, according to some people, right? In the Old Testament, Jewish boys were circumcised to, to show that they were boys, the, men of the king, men of God. And so when we're baptized, we are introduced into this family of God. And I, I don't care if that happens when you're a baby, if that happens when you're a, a teenager or an adult. We are claimed by God at our baptism. But Jesus gives us a command here. He says, get up and do not be afraid. Get up and do not be afraid. How many times do we act in fear of whatever is going to happen? You know, I was told by a mentor pastor that the older he's gotten, the less fear and anxiety he has. And I'll, I'll never forget my home pastor, Wayne Taylor, I was sharing this morning. He would do something crazy. Uh, he, he acted without uh, really seeking permission a lot. Uh, but he would say to me, he says, well, the worst thing they could do is fire me. And he really meant it. He didn't care. He's like, this is what the Lord God has called me to do, and I'm going to do it. And, you know, he was punished for it, but the kingdom of God is a better place for him for those actions that he took. So, again, a lot has happened in the life of our church and the conference, and some of it I'm in the middle of it. But I've accepted that, like Peter, James, and John and his brother, that the Lord will work out everything in my vocation. And, you know, Christians have Christianese, we call it, right? So what is a vocation? I mean, we talk about vocation. Vocation is different than a, a career path. And that's what's really difficult. God has called each of us to a vocation. For me, that's to be a preacher. I've accepted that. I've tried to get out of it a couple times, and it never works out. Right? I've accepted it. For, for all of us that have families, our first vocation is our family. That's our vocation. We are called by God to disciple our families. It's a biblical model. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm all for uh, embracing and funding youth and children's ministry. I think that is a priority. But we have to also, as the people of God, invest uh, our time with those young people. That's our vocation. Our vocation is also how do we live out our jobs for Jesus, what we do on a daily basis. So my encouragement is, we can't live in fear and anxiety. Uh, and again, I have to live and accept this as well. But Jesus did calm the storms on the boat. When the disciples were afraid, and Jesus gets up, he was sleeping, for goodness sakes. And he says, why are you so worried? And he does what? He tells the, the waters, calm. And the waters obeyed him. Jesus rose people from the dead. 
And in the Beatitudes that we read, I think, two weeks ago, Jesus blesses each of us. But only if we're willing to stand up tall and be strong for him. Are we willing to be a witness for Jesus by standing up and not taking a seat? Get up, Jesus says. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Get up. If your king tells you to get up, you get up. If your king tells you to go fight, you fight. Whatever your king demands of you, you do. And he tells us not to be afraid. So how do we not become overcome by fear? See, in our our last one here, it's very simple. He tells us to tell others about him. Verse 9. So as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them. He were commanded. He didn't request. Don't tell anybody about this vision until the human one is raised from the dead. So Jesus fulfills that Old Testament of raising from the dead after his crucifixion. Jesus led from humility. So he basically said, look, don't just take my father's word for it, but watch. And that's what they did. And you know, what's pretty funny to me is these men walked with Jesus in his ministry. They saw him perform miracles. They saw all of this. But yet, they still really didn't understand why he was still alive. And what happened, you know, Jesus uh, is out of the tomb, and, and Jesus talks to the women, and the women say, Jesus has risen. Go and tell the others. Wow. So finally, I guess the men need a woman to tell them what reality is, right? <laughs> Jesus used the women in that passage to tell us men what is the right way. So, hear this. If you don't fully understand Jesus, the Bible, faith, it's okay. We all have to start somewhere. Right? These men that walked with Jesus didn't fully understand. You know, um, that, that's why we study the Word of God. That's why we have uh, discipleship. That's why Amanda's going to do this class based on, uh, you know, the spiritual boot camp. Get back to some of those basics of faith. You know, I had somebody come up to me, uh, I think it was last week, you know, just some clarity on my sermons I've been preaching. You know, we've been talking about law and grace, and what does that mean? You know, the law is not, uh, it's not you have to obey the law to be saved. No. Jesus saves. Jesus and Jesus alone saves. But it also means that we don't just purposely do whatever we want to do and, and say, oh, Jesus, so, I'm sorry. Every, every week we turn around and not try to change our lives. Being a person of faith means that we are uh, continuously trying to strive uh, to live like Jesus tells us to live. You know, and in the life of churches, in the life of our faith, there's ups and downs. When I was in seminary, uh, I had to do this spiritual um, timeline of my own faith. And right now I'm working on that with my students at United, and we're talking about our spiritual timelines. What are those ups and downs within our own spiritual life? We've all been there. I've had moments both while serving in the church and while, when not serving in the church that me and God have been connected and, and, and I hear his word every day, 
And there's been moments that I'm depressed and torn down. And you know what? I want to go hide in the corner and not even hear them. I've had those moments. And, and again, the church is like this. God's, uh, God's commands for us, again, are not suggestions. They're, so the United Methodist Church has two books, right? The book of discipline, which is supposed to be what we stand by, and the book of resolutions. So the book of resolutions is this big, uh, like, maroon book, and it's always been the book of suggestions, right? None of it has any status in the church at all. Uh, God's word is not that. God's word is God's word. It's, it's how we live our lives. Um, and again, I'm, I'm guilty of, in my early Christianity, going to the Bible and finding those passages that support my view. Has anybody else been guilty of that? I'm telling you. When, when I went out to Oregon, again, at 17, and let me tell you, we saw things totally different from each other. I took that scripture and tried to use it as a, as a, an, uh, a gun, you know, uh, a, a way to defend myself and my views, and it was wrong of me. It was wrong. But again, I hadn't even started Bible college at that point in my Christian faith. Um, but as time has gone on, I understand that sometimes when we read the Word of God, it contradicts everything that we think. It contradicts our theology, our perspectives, our political values, and then we have to deal with it in our head and say, well, God, how do I, how do I live with this? But get in the Word of God. And, and when I study uh, with people that have different faiths than me, different Christian groups, you know what's really great about that? Is they have, they're not taking my baggage with them to the Bible. And then I have to really think about it and say, you know, I've been thinking about that wrong. So, I have 49 commands here from Jesus. We're not going to read all 49, okay? We'd fall asleep. But there's 49 really commands from Jesus in the Bible. So I'm just going to kind of go uh, through them and on the slides. And my encouragement is just look above and see if any just stick out to you, okay? So notice this verse 1, repent, Okay? And these are scriptures, and these are something I can make available to you as well. So you can read the, the word for yourself. Uh, practice secret disciplines. Again, that, that talks about, you know, we are to pray in, in private. You know, we are to uh, do those things. Not to judge, you know. Uh, take care of the homeless and the needy and the widows. All of those things are in here. Fear not. We just talked about that. God tells us not to fear Right, there's my favorite one at the end, right? Love our neighbors. Love the Lord. Let your heart not be troubled. Feed my sheep. Keep my commandments. Be born again. We have to tell others about Jesus. It's a command for us this morning. It's a command that we hear repeated throughout the entire New Testament to go out into the world. And you know, it's really cool. If you go to uh, the Baptist Seminary in New Orleans and you go in the library room, which, you know, when I was a student, I hated the library. I almost never went. Uh, and now that I'm not a student, I make time out of my way to go. <laughs> so uh, there's this room in the library 
and it's on the bottom floor, and I'm, I'm envisioning it. And there's maps, these pull-out maps. And all these maps show all the places that are uh, untouched people groups around the world. They have yet to hear Jesus. Can you believe that there are still hundreds of thousands of people that have never heard Christ preached, proclaimed, have never had an opportunity for baptism, the sacrament of communion? They're, they're out there. And they're not all in, a lot of people think, you know, the continent of Africa is where a lot of these places are, but it's actually not true. But, you know, I, I love to see how Asia and all these places, they, there was an article on how Christian pastors who have been killed in that in China, but they're going out during this uh, disease that is spreading there and proclaiming Jesus, and they're not being touched because of it, right? Because everyone's afraid to get out on the streets. But Jesus is using them, and they're, they're putting their lives at risk. So we hear on this most special Sunday, we celebrate Jesus being once again confirmed by God, the Father in heaven. We hear that Jesus is both the Son of God and God. We hear that Jesus is human and divine. We, again, we said it in the Apostles' Creed this morning, that we must follow Jesus as the Lord of our lives, Period. Because something will become our Lord if we do not follow him as Lord. That we must follow the commands of Jesus, not because they save us, but because we love Jesus with our whole hearts. That we serve as a mouthpiece and an instrument to the world on who Jesus really is. The Savior, the King of Kings, the one who sets the standard for his children. We must accept that we're called to be the hands and feet of God to the world, full of isolation let me hit on that real quick. The world is becoming more and more isolated. People don't have friends. People uh, don't go to their neighbors' houses. In fact, they don't even know who their neighbors are half the time. You know, and, and I'm just as guilty. I mean, I know I've met the neighbor on the right side of the parsonage and the left side, but I don't know the people across the street. And I, I know the people at the Baptist church. And uh, they gave me a pen the other day, so I guess... You know, they're starting to like me. And then the women, the women's center across the street, that's my neighbors. Who are your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? Have you shared a meal with them? You know, that, that speaks a lot. When you share a meal with somebody, it means you really love them. At least in my mind. But I like food, so. Um, people are disillusioned with the church. More so than Ever. They, they think the church is this horrible place full of hypocrites. I, I, you know, and it's pretty horrible. You know, I go online, on Facebook <coughs> last night, and they keep, uh, you know how they give ads based on your conversations, I guess, they're listening to us? Uh, there's an ad that keeps coming up about uh, clergy abuse in the Catholic church. I mean, every, every time I get on Facebook, asking if I need legal representation, right? I don't know. I don't know why they think I need it, but the point is, that these are the type of things going out. And then you, you see the stuff about these pastors that have these private jets and how they want another one. And then the world thinks that's all of us. We don't pay taxes. We don't, you know, all these things that are just ridiculous. The common sense will tell you that's not true. But people are disillusioned with the church. So we are, we have to change that. And people are filled with hopelessness, for goodness sakes. They feel like the whole world is just around them and beating them. 
and, and they have no hope. But yet, here we are as the Christian church, we have the answer of what hope is, of what love is. And we get the joy to share it. So, you know, it's sad to me that the church is slowly declining in membership worldwide, especially here in the States, you know. When we are the answer to hope, how can we not grow? How can we not be people of love? How can we not be the answer of famine and disease and homelessness and all these world issues, because I'm going to tell you what, the government's never going to figure out how to deal with all of it. Jesus gave us the church to do this. We're not just a social organization, though, either. You know, we're here to proclaim the gospel, the truth of Jesus. And when we go out into the world and we take care of his children, that is sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. And so, uh, I, I hope as, you know... Again, I'm a, I'm a young pastor. I get it. You know, and I look at my, <coughs> my friends that are close to retirement, uh, and they all look at me and like, well, it's got to be a difficult place to serve as a pastor. The truth is, I don't know what the next 30 to 40 years of my ministry is going to look like because the world is ever-changing. But I have hope that there's going to be a renewal. We've had five renewals in the American church that I can think of within our history since the Revolutionary War. Why can't we have another one? It's happening. It's just the church is going to look a lot different than it does today. You know, uh, less buildings, less, uh, maybe less people, but Jesus is going to glorify it. So uh, let us pray. God, we, we thank you for your church and for this story of your uh, div- divinity. God, this story tells us where the divine, the Father, met the earth. God, that those were two in one. God, help us be the body of Christ. Help us uh, look past our own understandings, but to you. Let us define you as our Lord and our King first. Let us take care of our widows and our sick and our homeless and all those people that need you. God, let the church be the place where you and the world are met. Help us be that body. Let us be a place where the gospel is rightly proclaimed, that the sacraments are given to hungry people. And help this community of Chiefland know Christ in a way that is so real, God, that It changes this very place for you. Let a great revival of Christianity fill this land. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.